Okay, who will admit that they did not set their clock back and got here an hour early? Anybody? Brother? I heard you did. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. Well, you know, they say you get an extra hour of sleep. I don't. Because my body is used to getting up at 6 o'clock, and this morning it got up at 5 o'clock because it felt like it was 6 o'clock. So I really didn't get an extra hour of sleep. I don't know about you, but we're glad you made it. And it's good to have you here this morning. Um, Sister Christie said that this Tuesday is uh, it's election time again. And those things seem to roll around real quick, don't they? Every two years. And, 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 and you can always know when it's here because of those commercials. Who's tired of the commercials already? I am tired of the commercials. And you can't learn anything from those things because all they're going to tell you, one's going to tell you, the other one's lying to you, and then you can't trust them. And then the next commercial will be about the person you just heard from, and they're going to say they're lying to you, and you can't trust them. So you can't learn anything from those things. I hope that's not where how you choose your candidates. And so I will ask, how many here have early voted? Who's, early, who's already voted? Oh, looks like a lot of people have. All right. Who's planning on fighting that crowd on Tuesday? Oh, boy. Mm. Oh, boy. And who would say, I'm not doing either one of them because I'm sick of all of them? Oh, I see a couple hands. I see a couple hands. I'm going to see if maybe, maybe, maybe we can persuade you on that a little bit this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your presence that's been here. We thank you for your anointing. I thank you for this nation that I live in. I thank you for the freedoms that I have. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that I have in you. I thank you for what you've done for me. God, that I could be seen righteous in your sight. And so, Lord, as we, as we look at our responsibilities for a little while to, to you and to our government, Lord, we ultimately know we owe everything to you and that you will be our ultimate king. And so I ask you for your anointing. Lord, I ask that these words would be yours, not mine, that your Holy Spirit would guide me. In Jesus' name, amen. So, it is an election season, and... You know, you get two extremes on that when it comes to, to, to people in their politics. You get those who are apathetic, and I'm talking about believers, who will say, look, God's in control, God is sovereign, I don't want to be involved in that mess, I'm not going to be involved in that mess because God's going to work out everything anyway. And then you get those on the opposite extreme, that if they were as passionate about their faith as they were their politics, man, they could set the world on fire. And it's true. You've talked to them before. I mean, you, you know, I don't really like talking about politics too much. Uh, I have my beliefs. I'm going to stand on them. I'm going to talk about them a little bit today. Sometimes when you, when you, when you uh, present a message like this, you have to be a little careful because I don't want it to come off as political, and it won't. I will share with you some of my beliefs uh, and how I feel about some things. But most of all, I want to know what does God say about things. That's what I want to know because that's, that's always right. That's never wrong. It won't wrong when it was inspired by the Holy Spirit on authors, and it's not wrong today. And it'll always be right. And so we're going to look at those things a little bit. But, um, so there are those two extremes. But the reality of it is we do live in two worlds. That's the title of the message, Living in Two Worlds. If I look, at, if I look out here, I would imagine I'm looking at everyone who's a citizen of the United States. That's right. And I'm proud to be a citizen of the United States. I, I like my country. I love my country. I love the freedoms that we enjoy here. People died to, for, to, to vend these freedoms. But I'm also a citizen of heaven. Yes. Philippians 3.20 says that we are, our citizenship is in heaven. So we have dual citizenship. We have citizenship here, and we have citizenship in a heavenly kingdom. 
And that's clear. And I want to read a passage of Scripture to, hear, to you shortly where I think Jesus confirmed that, that you got responsibility in two places. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew twenty-two fifteen 15 through 22. Matthew twenty-two fifteen 15 through 22. And it'll also be on the screen. Now I need to, it's, it's important that I set the, the, the stage for this particular encounter. It's always important to understand the cultural context, what's going on, because sometimes it helps us understand uh, why things were, were, were like they were in an encounter in the Bible. It's always important, but particularly in this case. So what is happening here it is Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's come in for the triumphal entry. He knows that the next thing that's going to happen to him is he's going to appear and be crucified and die for the sins of mankind. And so that's he's coming into Jerusalem. But also thousands, some historians say up to three million. Most think that's, over, that's inflated. Some say a couple hundred thousand. But nevertheless, a lot of Jews, a lot of Jews would have been in Jerusalem at this time. It was Passover. And so they would have been coming in, particularly into the temple area. And, and, and one representative of each family would have come in with a, with a, with a lamb for the slaughter, for the, to, to celebrate the Passover meal. And that's what would have been happening in, in, in the city of Jerusalem at that time. Now, because of that, because the city would have swollen with Jews, also Jews at that time were under Roman authority. The authority was the Roman government. So at that time, there would have been a lot of Roman soldiers there. Many historians say Pontius Pilate himself would have been there because at that time, there was a lot of tension, a lot of tension between the Jews and the Romans. They did not like being under Roman control. They certainly didn't like the Roman government controlling the temple. They felt like they should be their own nation. That was their land. That's a battle that still rages today. But that was kind of the context of this. And, and then uh, top that off with Jesus, he's standing, he's teaching in the temple courts, and he had just given a couple parables to the, to the uh, Jewish, to, to the Pharisees, the leaders of the, of, the, uh, of the Jews, and was telling them these parables about how, and basically they knew they were talking about him, how they had rejected him, and so he was going to take the kingdom of God, and he was going to give it to outsiders. And this, so this really had them fired up. So as you see what's happening here, we're in a political hotbed of political issues and religious issues. That's the stage for what's about to happen. That sounds very uh, familiar to me. I think our nation could be said the same. We're in a hotbed of political and religious issues. We always have been, but even more so today. Part of one of the biggest central key themes of the last election was, was Christian freedom, uh, feel like Christian values under attack. You, we'll all have opinions on that. Like I said, this is not intended to be political. But these same issues in some ways still are a hotbed for us today. But that's what was happening when this passage of Scripture takes place. So I want to read it, Matthew twenty-two fifteen through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, talking about Jesus. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God's the things that are God's. 
When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, in this exchange, there's a couple things to note. You had two groups that come to approach Jesus to ask him about this question. You had the disciples of the Pharisees and you had the Herodians. Those would have been two groups of people that typically did not get along at all. The, the, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. The Herodians were also Jews, but they were sympathetic to Herod. They kind of liked the government. And so these two typically didn't get along, but when it come an opportunity to trick Jesus, they were willing to join forces and come up there and try to trick him, particularly in light of what, how he had just blistered them in those two parables he had just done. And they came up to him, and, and they know good and well, they asked him a question. And, and they felt like it was going to be a no-win situation for Jesus. They were going to trap him. And they asked him a question about whether or not it was right to, to, to pay taxes. They were, here, here was their plan. Here was their plot. They said, if he says, yes, you need to pay taxes, then all the people who were in those temple courts who were now already seeing him maybe as the Messiah, they knew the miracles he had done, they knew his claims, but more importantly, there was more people there hoping that he was going to be the earthly king that was going to finally free, him, free them from Roman rule. And the moment he said, yes, you need to pay these taxes to Caesar, they were going to say, this man is no friend of the Jews, he's a friend of Rome. That was their plan. And then they had the Herodians there because they were saying, well, and now if he says, no, you don't owe any allegiance, any allegiance to Rome anymore, I am now your king, that the Herodians would have hightailed it up to the Roman government and said, guess what this man just said? He is an insurgent. Let's go arrest him. And would have got arrested him sooner than he ended up being arrested. That was their plan. And I've said this before. Can you imagine trying to trick Jesus? I mean, but they thought they could do it. And so his response is interesting. And he asked him why they were trying to test him. He knew. He said, they are trying to trick me. They're trying to get me in a trap. And he said this, show me the tax money. And I can see them now digging in their bags, digging in their pockets if they have them to get one because they just know we got him. We're getting ready to trap him. And, it, and the tax money comes out. And Jesus asked a question. He said, whose image and inscription is it? They, he took it. It was a denarius. And he looked at that, and I can see him holding it, and I can see him pointing it to those early Jews and saying, whose inscription, image and inscriptions on this? And see, to you and I, that might be a little bit of an insignificant question. But understand, to a first century Jew, that would not have been an insignificant question at all. Because immediately when he said, whose who's image, when he used that word image, the first thing they would have done as devout Jews was gone to the second commandment that said, Thou shalt not have any graven image on heaven above or earth below. But you're standing there showing me this thing with an image on it. And whose inscription is it? The denarius back at that time, that would have been Caesar's image on it. And it would have had an inscription on it that all but said that Caesar was deity. So here you are trying to trick me. You, you got this coin in your hand. And notice Jesus didn't have one. He said, have you got one? He didn't have one. And when they pull it out, he says, you're sitting here trying to trick me, ask me this question. And you're standing there. They would have been immediately convicted in their minds and in their hearts that they're standing there holding something that they hate more than anything, but showing also their subservience to the Roman rule, that they are under government rule. And that's why, that's why that was so significant. That's why Jesus asked them that question. And then, of course, they said, it's Caesar's. And he said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But he didn't stop there. He said, render unto God's what is God's. 
And, of course, they marveled at it. They left and they were marveled. In essence, what Jesus had done, he had said, listen, you're under the Roman rule. Who's, that's Caesar's coin. I imagine they benefited some from the Roman government. They didn't like it. They had to pay taxes to it. But they benefited from it some. Same can be said of us. There's a lot of things we don't like about our government. We benefit from it some. In a lot of ways, in some ways. So Jesus said, take that right there and give it back to Caesar. It belongs to him. It's got his image on it. But he didn't stop there. He said, render unto God's what is God's. Because if you're his follower, you got his image. We all have his image. So in essence, he was saying, you got two worlds you have to live in here. you got two worlds. You have Caesar's and you have mine. And he set them right there. A lot of people would take that scripture and stop right there and say it was just about the tax. It just says that Christians should pay taxes. That is a principle you can take out of that. But it's much deeper than that. It's much, much deeper than that. So we do live in two worlds. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to look at the human side, the human government. And what is our responsibility in that? Should we be involved? Should we vote? I will tell you, I will tell you up front, there is no biblical mandate that you have to vote. There's not. But there is a lot of Scripture, there are a lot of Scripture that would indicate that we as followers of Christ should try to influence our society, influence our, our government for righteousness. That we shouldn't sit back on our laurels and say, there's nothing to say, well, God's got it all figured out anyway. That, there's no, there's no, more Scripture shows that we should be active. We should be men and women of faith in action than that. We should trust God more than that. But let's take a look at it. Characteristics of human government. First, set in place and given authority by God. Look at Romans 13 and 1. And I want to say before I read this scripture, this one scripture alone ought to be the very scripture that helps you not get so upset about politics. Let me read it. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. President Donald Trump sits in the White House right now because the God of heaven set him there. And he gave him the authority. President Barack Obama sat in the White House because God set him there and he gave him the authority. And that's true of every king and every leader. They're there and they're given the authority by God. Now there's some things that happen I don't like, and Stephen is passing out the outline. Thank you, Stephen. If you didn't get one, you want to get one, get one. That, uh, there's some things about the government I don't like. But, but that last song, Our God Reigns, it doesn't matter who's sitting in the White House. Our God reigns. Jesus Christ reigns. He's in control of everything. Amen. And he's ultimate, he's got a plan and all this is going to work out by his divine, by his divine will. And so if I'm going to look at some a president, and I see people, not just president, they're congressmen, they, they start talking about it and look like their hair gets on fire and they get all upset. I don't because I know God set them there. I don't, and why they're doing certain things, I don't know. But I know God set them there, and he gave them the authority. And ultimately, he will use them. The Bible says the king's heart is in the Lord's hands, and he moves it as he will. So that'll help you. It helps me. It always has to know that the authority is given by God and set by God. But it is fallen. That's why even, even if our entire government was made up of, of born-again believers, do you think they would do everything right? Do churches made up of born-again believers do everything right? No. We still fuss and fight and carry on and, and get upset about things because we still live in a fallen nature. 
And we live in a government that's governed by fallen people. And we live in a government that's governed by people who are actually lost. But that's nothing new. Look at Exodus 5 and 2. Now what's happened here is, and I found this interesting as well, is Moses has gone to the Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, we just want to take our people and we want to go out into the desert and we want to worship our God the way we want to worship our God. Does that sound familiar? Very similar to what Christians today say. We just want to worship God the way we want to worship Him. We don't necessarily want to impose our will, but we don't want things imposed on us. But that's what Moses was saying to Pharaoh. But listen to what Pharaoh said. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Pharaoh didn't care nothing about that. I don't know the Lord. But I'll tell you one thing, it wouldn't be long he would. It wouldn't be long he would. And people can set themselves against the Lord. They can set themselves against God and His anointed. But one day they're going to know. And I don't say that out of heart of vindictive. I say it hopefully out of heart of compassion. But they're going to know one day. And Pharaoh found out when the angel of death came rolling through and that he didn't have the blood above his doorpost because he didn't think, know this God or know anything about his God. And it cost his son his life. And they, all those Egyptians are sons their lives. God, our God, is, He reigns. And you can set yourself against them, and governments may set themselves against them, but ultimately he reigns. And then, of course, Romans 3.23, we all know it says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the government that we work under, folks, it, it's, it's fallen. We live in a fallen world. We, we have fallen people. And that explains a lot of why some things go on that we, that we don't agree with as believers. Next, it is passing away. Look at Matthew 24 and 35. Jesus talking, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. If you've got all your hope and all your trust in the things of this world, you're going to be sadly disappointed because it is passing away. And I think it's coming sooner than later that it's really going to pass away. But this is a temporal kingdom we live in. This is a temporal government that we serve under. Next, and this statement is not meant to be a political statement. This statement is a matter of a fact, but I will talk a little bit about it. Human government has borders. Nations have borders. They rule within the borders that are set. Look at Numbers 20, 17 through 18. Now this is also Moses speaking. Children of Israel have been set free. He's traveling along and he needs to go through the nation of Edom. And he talks to the Edomite king, and this is what he asked of the king. He says, let us pass through your country. We will not pass through the fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from the wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. So Moses is asking the king, he says, look, I just need to pass through your nation. I promise I'll be respectful. I won't drink, I won't drink from the wells. I won't mess with your vineyards. I just need to come through the nation. And, and I say this, as I was writing this and preparing this and praying over this, I, I got to admit, the first thing that comes to my mind was what? The caravan. It, it did. It just come to my mind. And, and I look at those, an issue like that. Is it politicized on both sides? Yes, it is. It certainly is politicized on both sides. But I do believe that nations should have borders. And I believe we should seal our borders. But I believe as a compassionate nation, you can't as a believer look at those, all those people with those kids and it not touch your heart. They're trying to get out of terrible situations. And so as a Christian, that touches my heart. And, I, and I'm like, it bothers me. 
But at the same token, I know that we have laws and we have borders and, and we have ways and we should be a compassionate nation, and I think that we are, that says come and we will vet each person and, and, and grant you entrance, as many people have done through the years. That's the way I think it should be done. And as a matter of fact, the, the king said to Moses, he said, uh, then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land lest I come out against you with the sword. So Edom said, no, you're not coming through. And I thought about that as our military prepares to go down to the border and all that stuff. And you, you form your own opinions on those things. But our nations do have borders. But here's a good example of where that kingdom, the kingdom, the natural kingdom they work in, and the spiritual kingdom and God's kingdom, which we'll talk about next week. I, I will not get through this. I'll make, I'm going to make this a two-part series. How they differ, okay? Because I'll tell you this, church. When somebody steps foot onto the campus of this church and they walk through that door, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, I don't care about their immigration status. I care about their citizenship in heaven. I want to know, do you know the King of kings and Lord of lords? That's what I want to know. I don't care about that. I think our nation, our, our natural government should deal with that. They should make laws to deal with that. We have laws. I think those laws should be enforced. But when it comes to things like that and people coming into our house of worship, we need to be concerned about their spiritual condition, not, not their immigration status. Now, how do I feel personally on one issue? You see some churches that take and, and allow sanctuary churches where they, can, they know that the, the government officials are trying to get them, so they say, come in here, and thank God we still respect churches enough that we won't go in and take them into custody. I disagree with that. I, I personally now think the church is wrong on that. I think they're violating the laws of the land, and we're going to see in a minute that Paul gives some very clear instructions on that, on obeying the laws of the land. So they clearly do have borders. That's the characteristics of human government. So what is our responsibility? Was a Christian, what is my responsibility to that human government? One of the best passages of Scripture of that is in, found in Romans 13, 1 through 7. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I do want to read it because it covers a lot of things. This is Paul. He's writing to the church at Rome, and he is telling them specifically about human government and what their responsibility is to that government. I've read the first verse already, but I'll read it again. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority, he asked? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For they are, for, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, there's that word again, therefore to all who are due, Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now you could take that and spend a lot of time just in that scripture right there. But clearly what Paul is saying is that you, we as followers of Christ, we are subject to the governing authorities. Is that governing authority fallen? Yes. Is it times it's going to do things we don't like? Yes. And I know what that begs the question is, well, what about Hitler? What about all these dictators? I, 
that's something I want, and I thought about that, okay? And certainly I think they're stepping outside of the bounds of God's, of God's righteousness and justice. But I don't need to worry about that. I need to worry about the United States, where we are right now. What, what is, how does this speak to us? And it tells me as I read that, that I'm, I'm subject to the governing authorities. And that they're set there. There had to be government. Ha- having government is part of the fall. There has to be something in place to set the rules of the society because of the fall. Could you imagine Could you imagine society without law? Could you imagine society without government? There are some people that want that. Many of the anarchists that you see that are knocking out windows and doing these all, they want a, they want a society without law. That would be total chaos. And that's why Paul is saying we're subject to those authorities. And so what does that mean? First, we should be law-abiding. In 13.2, he says, Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. We should be law-abiding people. Followers of Christ should not be ones out here breaking the laws, doing these things that you see some people doing, stand, ending up on the news with a mugshot. That shouldn't be a follower of Christ. Now, does it happen? It does. Does he offer forgiveness? He does. Because we're still talking about two different worlds. But if you're going to go out and break the law in this world, there should be a penalty to pay if there's a law in place. Okay? 1 Peter 2 and 13 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of, of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. We as Christians should be law-abiding. Next, we should pay our taxes. Look at 13.6. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers continually to this very thing. And I think that's what Jesus was speaking of as well. When he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. We should pay our taxes. I know that's a dagger in the heart. I hate them as much as you do. I think they're too high. I complain every year at tax season. You know, I mean, you get that tax bill and you're like, this is ridiculous. But you know what? Just like in Jesus' day, we benefit from governmental services. I'm glad for people who choose a life of governmental service. Some of you in here have done that. I did that. It's not a lot of money in it, is it, Brother Todd? You're not going to get rich doing it. But I thank God that we have men and women of God that are working in governmental services. We get, very, we get very critical of our politicians, as we should, and I'm glad we live in a nation where we're free to express our opinions about them. But we also should pray for them. And we also have a lot of politicians that are in positions that are God-fearing, that I think do slip off to a prayer cross and seek God's face. So we should pay our taxes. Next, we should be honest. Look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 21. Now, Paul here is talking, writing at the church of Corinth. He's talking about the gift they, that church, some churches have, have taken up a big collection to, to help bless other churches. And Paul says that in that, we want to provide honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We should be, we should be men and women of honor. If you run a business, you work in the government, you're a follower of the Lord, you should be honorable. We shouldn't have to worry about, your employers shouldn't have to worry about whether you're trying to swindle them or take something from them. We shouldn't have to worry about whether or not you're treating people unfairly. In all that we do, if we have businesses and all our business dealings, we should be honorable as, as followers of the Lord. We, we represent Him. We're His ambassadors. We should be honorable in those things. Next, we should pray for our leaders and our nation. Look at 1 Timothy 1 through 3. Therefore, I exhort, I exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, 
that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Prayers and supplications for all kings and all who are in authority. I heard a preacher back during the 2016 election. <clears throat> Apparently it was a conference of pastors. I heard this. And at that time, a lot of the, those on the evangelical side of the Christian movement were very critical of President Obama for his stance in abortion and same-sex relationships and Christian freedoms and some other things. And he was asking that group of pastors, he was saying, how many of you have been critical? Either you've talked amongst yourself or, you know, and you've been critical of the president. He said nearly every one of them raised their hand. And then he said, I want to ask you a question now, and I want you to be honest. In the last week, how many of you have been on your knees before God to pray for him for at least 15 minutes? Only a couple raised their hand. See, that, that's a dagger right there because, see, the Bible doesn't say anything about criticizing, but it tells us a whole lot about praying for him. It says, because when we begin to pray as a nation, when we begin to gather and pray as a nation and then put our, our faith in action, we can make a difference in this society. And that's what we should do as God's people, is make a difference in the society in which we function. It's easy to sit around and criticize. Those, those jobs are very, very, very difficult. And it's easy to sit around and criticize those who are in. And, and it's okay, and I'm glad we have that right to do it. But if you're going to do that as a follower of Christ, you need to spend at least that much time or more on your knees praying for them. And if you're not going to do that, then I would say don't criticize. That's why I like our ministers in prayer. Nearly every time we're there, we pray for the, we pray for the leaders of the city, the leaders of our state, and the leaders of our nation. Very recently, we met with Steve Shule, the new mayor. Steve Shule and I, I had a chance to interact with him when I was still working in the police department. I can tell you he sees the world completely different than I do. He does. We don't see anything in common. But he was gracious to let us come in. A lot of ministers came in. And he was gracious to let us sit there and talk with him and pray with him. Because I know this. If, if Steve Shule or any other politician has an encounter with Jesus Christ, their lives will change immensely. And the policies and things that they put in place that I disagree with will change. That's why we should pray for our leaders. And lastly, <clears throat> we should influence for righteousness. This is where we start acting on our faith. We should influence for righteousness. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people out there influencing, trying to influence the other way. And they're not slow to get out and call their elected officials. They're not slow to get out with signs. And they're not slow to do any of these things. They get out and they, 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 they shout and they carry on because they want to make their way and everybody think my way is the right way. We should be willing to do the same thing graciously. We be careful how we talk. Our, 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 our words should be seasoned with grace and salt. We shouldn't be out there shouting at people and saying all kinds of things like they do. But that doesn't mean we don't take a stand on what we believe in. Because if we believe in Proverbs 29.2, where it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And then also in Proverbs 14.34, where it says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. If we believe that, and it's God's word, that's a general principle out of, rule, out of the word of, book of Proverbs. If we believe that, and we should, then we should try to influence our nation for righteousness. Because that tells me if a wicked person is in control, that people, which include me, are going to groan. It's not going to be good. So we should try to influence for righteousness. It's getting harder and harder. Pastor and, and Sister Carol had asked about some um, voter guides. 
And we used to get voter guides, and we'd put them back here. And I guess you can still get them, but it's getting harder and harder to get them. And I tell you what it's getting harder and harder to do. It's getting harder and harder for politicians to get politicians to answer questions. Okay, if you want to run for public office and you want to represent people, tell me where you stand. Be willing to stand up, be a man, be a woman, and say, this is where I stand on this issue. But many times they won't. And that tells me something right there about them. If, if I was running for public office and I got a survey, I'm going to put where I stand and let the people decide. I'm not going to avoid the question. But you get many, many guides these days, and they just don't have a, they don't have a response, particularly in many of the issues that the Bible speaks to. They'll just ignore them. They, they don't want to deal with them. Because you know what? This is, a sad, this is a sad commentary, church. The statistics say that most people still vote with, you know what they vote with? Their pocketbook. That's what most statistics show. And that probably means Christians as well. I may vote, if I vote for someone, he, may, he or she may stand for everything that God is opposed to. But if they're going to put some more money in my pocket, I'll vote for them. I, I don't know, I don't ever want to go there. Because I trust God more than I trust man. I believe ultimately if I put my trust in Him, it's going to turn out a whole lot better than if I put my trust in my money. But it's harder and harder to get them. But I, you, you'll see in parentheses on your, on your uh, paper, you'll see uh, a, a website. And it says myfaithboats.org. That is a Christian-run, reputable Christian-run website. Now, I saw some hands go up in here and said, you're going to vote Tuesday. Go to the site. It's pretty user-friendly. I've been to it. It's got some videos that, that give a Christian perspective on some of the more uh, pressing issues. It's got a whole map of the nation. You can hover over North Carolina and hit, and then you put your address in. It'll tell you all the candidates that are running. Educate yourself, folks. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are our, our politicians have taken so many people for granted that they say there are certain blocks of people we can count on voting certain ways. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't want my vote taken for granted. I want to get out there and educate myself. I want to know where this person stands. And for me, and I hope for you, the first place I want to know where they stand is where do they stand on what God says. And I'm going to tell you right now, if it's contrary to that, and I'm just going to tell you my opinion, any candidate who, who votes and supports, this is Larry, abortion, don't get my vote. Now, you, you decide that, and I'll never tell you how to vote. I do believe that's a very personal, conscious decision between you and God. But I'm not voting for him because I serve a God, a God of life. And that Bible is clear that, that that life begins in that womb. And they can say whatever they want to, and they can put six different spins on it, but God's Word can't be spun. It can't. They can try to spin it, they can try to do it, but it can't be spun. It can't be spun there. And so that, that's, a, that's a deal breaker for me. Maybe it's not for you, and that's fine. But at least go to the site and educate yourself. Do you have a biblical worldview? Do you believe God's Word? Do you believe that righteousness matters? I want to, I want to read something to you. <clears throat> in 1883, in Allentown, New Jersey, a wooden Indian, the kind that was seen in front of a cigar store, was placed on the ballot for justice of peace. I don't know if you remember, how many remember South Square? You remember, I don't know, they had an old cigar store in there, had a big old Indian in it. I don't know if you remember a big old wooden Indian. Well, that's what this was. And it got put on the ballot. The candidate was registered under the fictitious name of Abner Robbins. When the ballots were counted, Abner won over incumbent Sam Davis by seven votes. 
A similar thing happened in 1938. The name Boston Curtis appeared on the ballot for Republican committeeman from Wilton, Washington. Actually, Boston Curtis was a mule. The town's mayor sponsored the animal to demonstrate that people know very little about their candidates. He proved his point. The mule won. Now, we laugh at that, but it ain't, we ain't far off that now because people walk into a ballot box and they don't know anything about the person they're voting for and they'll shade in that thing or they'll shade in something that somebody's told them or some voting block. God's word is the only voting block I'm going to vote on. And I think as followers of Christ, that's the only voting block we should vote on. And you would think it's gotten better because there's so much information right at our fingertips. But that information, who can, I mean, you get all kinds of stuff on there. So why not trust something that's not changed? Why not trust something that's never changed, that never will change? A God that'll never change. Why not trust that? I can put my trust in that. Pastor says, I can hang my hat on that. Hang my hat on that one. Why does it matter? Why does it even matter? Martin Niemöller. You may not recognize that name. Martin Niemöller. But you may remember what he's famous for when I tell you. Martin Niemöller was a Lutheran minister, an early Nazi supporter who was later imprisoned for opposing Hitler's regime. Martin Niemöller was part of the German Navy. Then he followed in his father's footsteps and he became a Lutheran minister. And he first, when, when Hitler rode into town in the, with the Nazi party, he supported it. But then as he started to see some of the things that that party was doing, he got concerned as it related to God's word, God's people. So him and a group of pastors, they had formed a group of pastors, pastors probably a lot like Durham Ministers in Prayer as I did the research. They went to meet with Hitler. And as he went to meet with Hitler, he knew, he said, I'm being watched. He started knowing, the Gestapo's watching me, they're watching us. And he ended up being arrested and put in jail because he then saw how wicked that government was becoming and what it was starting to do. But this is what you may remember Martin Niemöller for. What he, the way he ended up stating that hangs both in the Holocaust Museum, both in D.C. and in Israel. And it says this, For they first came for the communists. I didn't speak out because I want a communist. Then he came for the socialists. And I didn't speak out because I want a socialist. Then he came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out, because I want a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out, because I want a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And that hangs. And church, that's still true. That's why we should, that's why we should try to influence our government. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to you. I'm, look, I'll be 53 in about seven, eight days. So do I see a radical shift where all of a sudden I'm going to be under some type of government of pressure for my faith? No. Do I kind of see the rumblings of it a little bit on the horizon? Yes. Am I more concerned about what my children and certainly one day my grandchildren may face with their faith? Yes. As Paul said, I simply just want them to be able to exercise their faith and live quiet, peaceful lives. And any, any Christian who is really standing on the Word, they don't go out and browbeat people and, and are nasty to people, at least they shouldn't. I mean, I know some do it, and it's not right. But God's Word is true. And, what he's, and the issues that, his Bible, that the Bible speaks to are the issues that we should stand for. And next week when we talk about 
the characteristics of the kingdom of God and our responsibilities to it, I'm going to share a couple real, very uh, recent examples of where, where people's faith has cost them. It has cost them. I think about the story of Esther. I'm going to ask Matt and the team if they'll come on for <clears throat> When I thought about this, I thought about the story of Esther. Esther was a Jewish girl. If you haven't read the story of the book of Esther lately, read it. It's a short book, but it's very fascinating. Esther was a Jewish girl, and by God's providence, and let me say one thing about the book of Esther. You will never see God's name in the book of Esther. You don't see the word Yahweh. You don't see the word Jehovah. You never see it. But what you do see, you see God's providential hand in everything that happens in that book. And folks, God's providential hand is in everything. He's steering and guiding as he will. And it isn't for us to know everything. It's for us to trust him. But he put a little Jewish girl to end up being the queen. And they, the king didn't know she was a Jew. But she ended up being the queen of Persia. And there was a man in that government by the name of Haman. And he hated the Jews. And he tricked the king into, into creating a law, an order, where all the Jews were going to be killed. It would have been the first Holocaust. They would have been exterminated. <clears throat> but Esther had a, a cousin named Mordecai. And he went to her. And he said, Esther, you've got to speak out. I mean, God has put you, you're the queen, you have influence with the king. You've got to speak out. You know, and Esther, Esther could have said, no, nah, I'm not speaking out. We were, we were in captivity, we were, you know, we were persecuted in Egypt, and we were persecuted now, and the Bible says we'll be persecuted. I'm not going to speak out. She didn't do that. Because Mordecai said to her, he said, you know, Esther, if you, if you stay quiet, God will raise up somebody else. He'll raise up somebody else. And if we stay quiet and we don't believe in God will raise up. He's, 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 God's always taking care of his people. He's taking care of his people. Now, what are we going to go through because of that? I don't know. But he's going to take care of his people, particularly the Jewish people. But us, we're his people now. You come to him in faith through Christ, you're his people. He's going to take care of us. But he told he said, if you don't speak out, he'll raise up somebody else that will. But he said this. He said, but you and your house, you're going to die if you don't speak. And then he said, he said, what do you know but what? God didn't place you here for such a time as this. For such a time as this. I told you that we have borders. I told you that we have borders. <clears throat> and in Acts, Acts 17, 26 says this. This is Paul talking. He's talking to some pretty religious people. And Mark, if you can bring that up, that's fine. If you can't, that's okay. He's trying to explain to them this God that we serve. He says, and this God has made one blood from every nation. There's one race, the human race. And we'll see that more next week. And he's and it, blood of every nation, of men, to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. God has set us all. He set you right here. You're not, you're not at 3518 Rosa Sharon Road in Durham, North Carolina on November the 4th just by chance. Nothing's by chance with God's people. He set you here. He set you where you are for an appointed time. And He set you here to do something for His kingdom. That's what He did. And it's for us now to be willing to get up, stand up, and say, God, what do you want me to do for you? 
And we're going we're to look at more at God's kingdom and our responsibility to that next week. But you have an awesome responsibility as a citizen of this nation this Tuesday and every election to come to educate yourself, to know what, what does the Lord say about these things. And the Bible speaks so much to it, folks. Whether it's life, whether it's marriage, whether it's the government, whether it's, you know, uh, decency and respect, all these things. It speaks to it. I think we really don't have to guess at it too much. It's just, are you willing to say, hey, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to stand up for this God who I believe loved me so much that he came down. He sent his son down here. And he was beaten and hung on a cross and gave his life for me. And I love, he loves me that much. And I, I'm going to take a stand for him and for what he says is righteousness. Not, not just because I owe him that honor, and I do, but because I want the best for my nation. I want the best for it. And I know if we put our trust and our faith in him and, and we have people in influential positions that do seek his face, that things will be better. Are they going to be perfect? No. Because we're fallen. But it sure is going to be a whole lot better. A whole lot better. I want to ask if you will to every person, if you'll close your eyes just a moment. We have responsibilities to our human government. We've, dis we've discussed those. I hope you will vote this Tuesday and every election to come, and I hope you'll take that website and go look at it and educate yourself. But just as when I was talking about the immigration issue, what I'm more concerned about that is where you stand in God's government. Where do you stand in that government? If you're here this morning, you've never accepted him. As, you know, how, it's amazing how easy it is to become a member of his family. How we just have to simply recognize who he is and who we are. And we'd be willing to submit ourselves to him. And then make him the Lord of our lives. If you've not done that, I'm going to ask you to come down to the altar and get it right today. Or maybe you have in the times past. And this altar's open. One of the things I'll deal with next week, I said this kingdom's passing away. This government is passing away. And I think it's sooner rather than later. He's coming again. He's coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready? Father, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, I thank you for this nation that I live in. I thank you for the freedoms that I have. And also next week, God, we'll, we'll celebrate Veterans Day. God, there's some people out here sitting under my voice that wore a uniform and took up a gun and went to a foreign land so I could stand here and have freedom to worship you and handle your holy word. I thank you for that. I thank you for the freedoms that I enjoy. And I, I, wanna, I want my children and grandchildren, I want them to be able to enjoy those freedoms. I don't know what next year, next month, ten years from now hold. You do. You, you know. But I don't want to sit back and just say, God, you got it all under control. And you do. I want to be counted busy about the kingdom's business. Busy about trying to influence people where I can, organizations where I can, and, and a government where I can for righteousness. <clears throat> and my challenge to me and to everybody here is that we all do that. That we join together as a, as a body of believers who put our hope and our trust in you first and foremost and pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, and say we want to vote God and we want this nation to reflect your righteousness. So I pray for each person here. 
Lord, and I pray, God, that you will prick all of our hearts that we might draw closer to you to reflect who you are, where you've given us influence. We thank you in Jesus' name.